Welcome back to A People's Guide to Publishing. I'm Joe Beal, the founder and CEO of Microcosm Publishing and Distribution. I'm also the author of A People's Guide to Publishing, which distills what I've learned from selling millions of books over the past 25 years. I'm Ellie Blue. I'm the Editorial and Marketing Director here at Microcosm. We are an independent midlist publisher based in Portland, Oregon and Cleveland, Ohio. We have over 700 books, over 25 employees, and we make about 40 new books every year. And we distribute thousands of titles from other publishers. We started this podcast so that we can share what we've learned with newer publishers so that you can learn from our mistakes. Or maybe you just want to understand the publishing industry. So this week, we welcome a special guest, Vic Liu, author of the brand new second edition of Bang!, which is a one of the coolest and most unique books that we've ever gotten to publish because it is truly a book that I can't really see a lot of other presses publishing. So can you start us <laughs> off by telling why you wanted to, like why you created this book? Yes. Okay, we're going to go dark and then we're going to go happy. <laughs> Starting from the dark place, uh, <laughs> I was in college and... Every, like not everyone, but a lot of people that I really love, including myself, were sexually assaulted. And the thing is, I remember in freshman year when they gave the campus tour and they pointed out all these emergency blue lights where you press the button and the police show up. And I don't know if anyone ever pressed the button because for the most part, sexual assault doesn't really happen in that way. You're not outside wandering a park and someone attacks you. It's more uncomfortable in this area where consent is very complicated and no one is given any tools and also everyone's like very drunk and you don't know this person's name and this is considered home. So I wanted to create Bang because I realized that there's such a gap in approachable sex ed printed in books. Like we have sex ed in Instagram, um, but we don't really, like, in the printed areas, especially in the campus health uh, center, we have how to talk to people about STDs, what do you do if you have gonorrhea, but we don't have anything about, like, how to talk about sex in a normal way. Um, and by normal, I don't mean, like, oh, be normal, but I mean, in a, everyone, chill, you can say the name of penis, clitoris, vagina. Um, if you're going to have sex with someone, you probably should be able to say those things to them. Um, yeah. So that's where that where bang came from. Started out as a zine. Started out um, me going to a ton of tiny little bookstores with a backpack full of sex ed books uh, or zines and hawking them. And then I got really tired of doing that, <laughs> so I submitted it to Microcosm, and now it's a real book. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, when, um, I guess, can you like tell us a little bit about, I don't know if I was involved in this conversation at all, but like when you did bring the book to us, do you remember sort of like how that went and um, what, <laughs> yeah, like what was the, um, what was the, uh, uh, yeah, what was that process like for you? So I read Unfuck Your Brain, uh, Microcosm, you know, big book from Dr. Faith Harper and um, I at the same time was understanding my limits and my ability to distribute this scene um, and so I submitted it to Microcosm 
And I think it was Joe that emailed back that was like, what do you want us to do with this? It looks published already. <laughs> and I was like, well, thank you. I, I feel like that is a compliment. However, it is simply me and myself uh, printing and distributing this. So then it, it grew because I think it was Lydia at the time who was like, if this book had a spine, it would do a lot better. And so it became from, it went from like uh, 50 pages to 128 pages. And now it's 198 pages and it's just growing and getting fatter. Little baby. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. And that's, I mean, and the, like the thing that I kept thinking about is like, you know, when you write a book, in this case, literally you, and you're kind of like putting a rubber stamp to say like i am in some way an expert on this topic and you know and in some way that begets you a certain kind of authority and then fan mail i can tell you from having written some books myself um and and but the fan mail is never quite like what you expect. Like it's always, you know, it's like one part, like people telling you about like difficult things they've been through and like one part telling you like very unlikely things that have resulted to them because of reading your book. So like what is, but what have been some of the better reactions that you've gotten from doing Bang? Um, okay, well, I have yet to receive physical fan mail, which is kind of a dream of mine. Uh, well, maybe this is, maybe, this, you know, blessing and a curse is maybe I don't want my address out in the universe. Um, <laughs> uh, but honestly, one of my very favorite reactions was Bill Baffin, it was a zine, and I was working on a project in Baltimore at the time with um, the Baltimore Family uh, planning uh, group of the mayor's office and we were trying to make reproductive health accessible. So it was a lot of the similar language of like, how do you talk about IUDs? How do you talk about the symptoms that you're, t uh, you're experiencing to the doctor in a language that they can understand? Um, because a lot of the women of color in certain areas of Baltimore were leaving clinics with insanely high rates of IUDs, um, like three times the average because a lot of doctors weren't hearing the buzzwords that they needed. Anyways, sorry, this is a big tangent. Feel free to edit all that out. Um, and one of the moms that we were working with in the community, I gave her a copy of Bang and then she came back to me and she um, was telling me about her daughter who was 16 years old, who loves Bang and put it on her like typewriter at, like on her desk and just kept it there every single day and how important it was for their relationship because her daughter recently came out as lesbian and it was really difficult. Like she was completely accepting and loving of her daughter, but she just didn't know how to talk to her daughter about sex, not to mention the whole like awkward talking to your parents about sex part of things. Um, and apparently the book became kind of a touchstone for them because her daughter would laugh at certain things and would show it to her mom and it would just kind of remove the taboo of talking about it. So that one's something that happened like four years ago before even like the big published version, but it's something that I hold very dear to my heart. 
Well, if any of our listeners or viewers want to send Vic fan mail, you can send it via microcosm and we'll <laughs> sure that it gets to them. Um, Vic, I would you, love that. You, uh, yeah, make an author's day today. Send them a note that you love their book. Um, Vic, you come to this, you, you are, you wrote quite a bit of this book, but you had other contributors, but you really brought your design skills 100%. Can you tell us more about your background as a designer and like, yeah, why, how you made the decision to make this a very designed book? very visual book. Sure. Um, so recently I've been informed that my design ideas are quite radical, which is funny to me because I thought they were just common sense. Um, <laughs> it kind of goes on the basis of, sorry, I have you balanced on my sofa. And so every time I laugh, it shakes. Uh, it's a full <laughs> experience for every viewer. Um, so it, in my design philosophy uh, ideas, let's say ideas, the philosophy sounds obnoxious, um, it rides on the fact that I think that people don't really find reading accessible. Um, the average reading level in the United States is around sixth or seventh grade, but also it's really difficult even for like people who read their entire lives to Cross that information barrier into areas that they aren't necessarily familiar with. Um, so I really wanted to make the, the book approachable because people are hella smart. Like it's not a matter of intelligence; it's just a matter of like text is somewhat inherently elitist. Um, and also, design allows you to like add mood to things, only the tone of voice, but it allows you to bring in color and humor and wit. Um, and also some of the things that we need to communicate are not linear and text is extremely linear. So various diagrams can allow you to pop in and out of the book, which I enjoy because, you know, most people have very limited attention. <laughs> right. And th yeah. And thank you for saying that. That's like, I mean, that's like basically our entire philosophy is that like, we're trying to introduce people to reading where that's not something that comes naturally to them. I did not learn until my 40s that I'm dyslexic and that like explained so much about like why that's so difficult. But then I think that like the difficulty like informed how we approach it because I've never, you know, like I've tried to slog through like dense text heavy books and it's like punishing, you know? And you know, because there's like information in them but it's like not, not a rewarding process. So like, and I think that was yeah. partly like what drew me to what you were going for, even though like we've never explicitly like had that conversation because, you know, like that's sort of microcosm's ethos as well is like making it so you can, you know, get into the subject, you know, especially if it's a subject like, you know, masturbation, which is like way more taboo than like even most of what we publish, which is like largely taboo. So like why, did you not only embark upon this particular subject, but a, a embark upon it in this way? Mm, um, and in this way, do you mean in terms of the visual design? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like so, when you say like this is a visual book about masturbation, people are going to have like maybe wrong questions. <laughs> yeah. And like their perception is not going to be quite accurate. Right. So masturbation is to me a pretty perfect lens into sexual empathy uh because everything is 
from the point of view of the first person, which means that when you have a book that's inclusive of different bodies, different abilities, different genders, you can jump into their perspective and look at their bodies from, uh, that sounds gross to say, look at their bodies from the inside. Um, uh, be a step in someone's shoes. (laughs) Whereas the current sex ed world is very like, look at this body from afar, like, this is what you do to it. This is like fun things you can do to it, et cetera. And it doesn't treat the other person as their being rather than just their body. Um, So by having a masturbation book that includes all forms of bodies, I also think it's important because it makes different bodies canon to our idea of the scope of things. Um, rather than having a book that's like, oh, this is for trans people, this is for like cis people, you know, um, it puts everyone under one roof as just human people with sexual bodies. Um, and also, in terms of visualness, I think that it allows you to have layers of wit um, that I find really important. And well, one thing is I really, really I'm, I'm so fucking sick of genitalia being as flowers or fruit. Um, it's just boring and meaningless. Like, to me, there's this underlying idea that it will spoil also. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you should be refrigerating your fruit, but you don't need to refrigerate your genitalia. Well, actually, it's pretty hot, so maybe, you know. <laughs> you never know. Um, but I wanted to that I think that we can really add different ways to understand our genitalia and sex toys and sex ed uh, visually and have different images that are much more accepting and much more real. And by accepting, I mean of the human nature of things, not the sterilized, roofy, fragrant version that we are sold. And also it's fun. (laughs) There's a lot of like sexual innuendos all over the book. I wonder how many people will be able to find all of them. Honestly, that would be kind of a fun competition. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. If you find all the sexual innuendos, uh, include those in your fan letter to Vic. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that I really enjoyed about your book is that it's not just your voice. There's a ton of different contributors. So like you did all the art, but you have, or I think you had some other designers as well, right? Um, mm-hmm. but you also had like, I don't know, 10 different authors, 12 different authors writing about topics that were like very most important to them. Can you talk about sort of how you made that decision to do the book that way instead of just writing it yourself and also like kind of how that came together, that bringing people together? Yeah, honestly, if you want to talk about it in slightly anarchist terms, I consider myself just like the bottom liner of the book. Like, I'm not, the book is mostly a collaboration of people. I'm just the person who answers all the emails and (laughs) sends a lot of emails. Sorry, Ellie. (laughs) Um, I know what it's like, yes. uh, Yeah, but, uh, well, it would be completely stupid for me to write the whole book. It would be so bad. Like, it would be exactly in line with everything I'm trying to avoid, right? Like, writing about someone's body for them. Um, so it was com- it, the, the book was 
conceived with the idea of people writing for their own bodies. It was never like, uh, oh, maybe this would be a good idea. No, it was like, this this is going to be a collaboration between people with different bodies to write about their own. Um, and then on the note about the designers, uh, similarly for the sections that are trans people and disabled people, the, um, the designers are trans and disabled because I think that visual language is also a voice that needs to be um, from someone's own perspective. Um, yeah, I, I love your little club of people in this, in this book. It is so cool. Like, I, I don't even know how many people we have, but I think we stand, we have one person in Canada, but everyone else is in the States. But we have, we have people all over the States from all different identities, um, doing all sorts of stuff. It's pretty amazing. Um, they're all great. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I, I like that the the volume of voices without anyone having like a singular authority. Like I felt like that was a neat way of doing it where, you know, you're like, now nah, we're going to talk about this topic. And that was something that I, you know, I think I got it from punk rock, like the idea that like when you're talking about any subject, you have to frame it from you know you don't frame it from a singular point of view you need to frame it from like all of the people who are stakeholders because otherwise like power will just overwrite every other point of view but can you talk a little bit about like where you came to that point of view from of like the democratized way of like talking about masturbation or like any subject mm, i think mostly just from a very keen understanding of my limitations. <laughs> um, I think that I, I don't know. I guess like that's how I want, and maybe this also like dips into larger conceptions of how the world should be run. Um, but uh, I find it important to conceive of like what goes into books and what goes into our knowledge base as much about a collaboration of the commons. Um, I think right now it's pretty clear that only a few voices, I mean, this is true throughout history, but I feel like it's pretty apparent right now that only a few voices are heard. And the ability to go write a whole goddamn book is small. <laughs> like people don't have the time or energy. So it, it, it to me, I'm the person who like, had the impetus, but there's no reason that I should be the person who is the only one highlighted. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have, um, can you tell us kind of about your work generally? Like, is sex education sort of your primary work or is design your primary work? Like, do you have other projects that kind of tie into this one or show new aspects of this perspective? So I've done a, a decent amount of sex ed work simply because I care about it. <laughs> um, but in general, I think that my work revolves around lowering information barriers through art and design and also being really thoughtful about who the designer is to the community and figuring out ways to be of use. So um, my other big project right now is uh, another book, uh, and it's on mass incarceration, which is a little bit far from masturbation. It rhymes. 
Um, the running joke is that I need to do a book on dairy maceration after this so that we can just complete this pattern. Um, <laughs> but it's in partnership with James Kilgore, who wrote Understanding Mass Incarceration, and it's coming out March 2024 with PM Press. So it's pretty far from in terms of masturbation, but they're both very, very visual books, visual language of the warehouse, which is the very dark title of the other book um, is very different. So it's all hand painted because I'm insane. Um, <laughs> laughed in fear. <laughs> but um, yeah, did I answer your question? That's all the shit I'm working on. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So you're you're using um yeah, you're using your visual skills and your vision to bring information so people can see a topic in new ways. Right. It, it's a lot about empathy. It's a lot about being thoughtful about the perspective in which things are designed. And the the anatomical charts are all from the firsthand perspective of someone like holding a mirror to their genitalia. And that was super crucial for me versus like looking at of body. Um, and similarly, in the mass incarceration book, there's a lot of perspective from the person who is experiencing it. So for example, on um, the section when you're deciding whether or not to plead out or plead guilty, um, it shows like your own hand, like signing a document rather than showing someone like from far experiencing this. Right. Right. Yeah. And that, I mean, and like mass incarceration is absolutely the kind of subject that benefits from like a visual representation. And because, I mean, I don't know, I've read my share of books about mass incarceration and, you know, it's like certainly has improved my sleep, you know, because it's, they're not exactly enticing, you know, it's like, you feel like it's like something that you should be knowledgeable about but it's harder to make that compelling. So a lot of them just aren't, you know, it's like they're kind of like working on your sort of like obligation to feel like you need to read this book, you know? So like, what was it that, you know, like in what ways have you been able to make that topic visual in the same way? I would say that a lot of the books on mass incarceration lean academic. It's much more about an intellectual understanding of the issue rather than the truth of it, which is it's very visceral. Um, it's about a lived experience. It's about being immersed in it. Um, and that is something that we want to achieve with this book. Um, and humanizing people. I think that there's an inherent tension in depicting not only mass incarceration, but other huge scale issues where you need to understand the scale of it, but you also need to understand the individual tragedy of it. And that's an impossibility, right? So um, how do you depict scale and individuality at the same time without breaking? <laughs> um, and then the other tension is, how do you show the dignity of the people that are being impacted by the system that is designed to take their dignity away, that is inherently dehumanizing? Um, how do you show the extent of the dehumanization and also uplift the dignity of the individual? 
it's hard. It was it, it was a very it is a, an ongoing project because I'm still revising and I want to continue to write it a little bit more, but it it takes a lot of uh, me staring at empty walls. <laughs> yeah. Tell us what the book is called again. It's called The Warehouse, a visual primer on mass incarceration. Nice. We'll tell people about it and we'll link to it in the show notes if there's oh, a link. Oh, yay. Thank you. I don't know if there's a link yet because it's uh, 2024, so it's a little oh, bit early. All right. Well, we'll just tell people to watch out for it. There's no link. Um, keep an eye out. Um, so one of my, so back to sort of bang, one of my favorite parts of both editions is when we did the Kickstarter project. I guess it is a taboo topic. Like a lot of people, people who know, people who are interested are really interested and people who are on the fence are really on the fence. And the way mm -hmm. that we people over the fence in both Kickstarter campaigns was by you designing a ton of enamel pins and some stickers. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did 10 for the new project, which is just. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. Can you <laughs> tell us about the process of that and like what you made and which ones you're most excited about? Yeah, of course. Um, have you ever heard of a hackathon? Mm -hmm. It's like that. That that is that was the experience of that. <laughs> was every day I wake up and design a pen. Um, it, it is vaguely worrisome how much my brain does come up with sexual puns. Like 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 there are so many that never made it to pass the drawing table, um, or drawing board, and that's my brain is like a twelve year year old boy. Like I see a thing and I'm like like. <laughs> that's yonic we're gonna make a design about it um yeah you had some great ones like uh hot uh, yeah yeah I, I i have to pull up the list sorry um <laughs> it's <laughs> fine i think it was hot dildog is that the one you're thinking about hot dickety dildog was what we renamed it yeah, too that one. one of our customer service people squishy had a brilliant brainstorm <laughs> but it was so fun this is the strength <laughs> i feel like you should lean into the strength of having a brain like a tool like, mm. thank you <laughs> it's not as applicable in it is a very specific it is not as applicable to a lot of my life <laughs> um so the process was i think wake up and figure out what design i'm gonna do and then go do it i'm sorry that's not that interesting of a story um but yeah, I do that every day for 10 days, which is insane. I think that I really love the host with the most design. I find that one very fun for um, I like the, the juxtaposition of that? your image. Oh, yes. It is uh, green, your classic 1950s green jello in the form of a bunk cake situation with a pink uh, sex toy that are pink angel beads inside of it um, on a plate. And I love it. I love it dearly because I love the juxtaposition of the like 1950s green jello person, housewife. I guess I was really mostly housewife in the 1950s. Um, aesthetic with the the beads, the anal beads. Uh, it is. I love the subtlety of those two <laughs> together. It made me think of that scene in The Office, that episode where Jim puts all of Dwight's um, office supplies in jello molds. 
Oh my god, I I've not seen. Okay, I I haven't seen The Office, and I'm okay. I'm realizing that I probably should at this point in my life. Um, but there's two. There's a British version and an American version. I guess we just watched the American version. Yeah, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> there is also an Indian version, which is like nearly oh. a shot-for-shot remake of the American version, but the jokes are translated to work in India, and that that's like mind-blowing. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I feel like I need to watch a side-by-side with my friend who's a translator because I think she would enjoy that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, other ones that I really love. Let's see. I, I do love the Rocket Pop, but or the Pocket Rocket one. I, I I do love the more lube one. That one was like surprisingly really well loved. Like I I, I feel like I expected. I don't know. I I didn't. I wasn't quite sure what I expected. I guess, but that surprised me. Um, I mean, and I, I love the like, like love like it. It's almost like social commentary. Hmm. Plus, also, I like the iridescent. Also, we have a lot of bike people, bicycle people, who also could apply to. Oh. And that it's not... Funny double entendre. Uh-huh. And it, it's not, like, revealing of yourself and your own interests in the way that some of the other ones are. I think that is part mm-hmm. of it, you know? Like, it's not, like, a great... Yeah. It's not a great vulnerability. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I do love the love thyself because I love being able to use typefaces in a humorous way. Um, yeah, what are some of your favorites? Mm. Ooh, I think down where it's wetter, I think is visually my favorite. Um, yeah. It's a fishbowl <laughs> with a, instead of a plastic castle at the bottom, it has a um, butt plug. Yeah. <laughs> and really the title that your friend came up with is just... Brilliant. Oh, is that was that one an assist too? Wow, we have a good like team on team here. That's wild. <laughs> I really liked that you used the um the grabber machine. Like I felt like that was mm-hmm. that's uh, like it's like having a weird moment in culture right now that it's like I, I feel like it's this just like very outdated thing that like never did what it promised to. So to, like put it on its head in this way, I thought was really funny. Yeah, you know, I would love a claw machine that didn't, you know, hurt my ego. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's like I don't know. Like I've watched people just dump, you know, so much money into these things, and then like just be so defeated. So I just loved the idea that like it could have satisfaction in this way. Yeah. But then from the original project, your St. Vibrator pin, which people can get on our website, Mm. is really, I think, the iconic one that everybody loves. It's a stained glass window with a Hitachi wand instead of a saint. And um, banana split dildo, I really love. Joe, isn't that one that the when you went to print the banana split dildo, didn't the printer try to like make it look like a banana instead of... Oh, yeah. We kept sending it to them and they kept like misunderstanding (laughs) they were like oh a mistake we'll fix it (laughs) and it was yeah and then and it was like over and over like you had to be like the details that you are removing from the image are the vital details (laughs) oh my god they probably thought that they were like trying to save you from an embarrassing thing (laughs) and it was so and we had to go through i i swear more than a dozen revisions where they just oh kept God. simplifying it and they were like, oh, it's a banana split. 
right? And like, oh I don't know. Yeah, I never can tell. Like, if <laughs> yeah, and a lot of times, like these, like the intermediary, like the pre-press departments aren't. You know, they're kind of phoning it in sometimes. So they like <laughs> might be missing it. To be fair, <laughs> you know. And that was kind of yeah. You know, they're doing like they're dealing in art all day long that like they're not invested right. in, you know. So it's just right. That's really funny. Yeah. Um, it reminds me. I I just remembered like a few days ago when I was first trying to print Bang as a zine. The the like printer I was working with refused to print it because they were this wow. is inappropriate. Wow. So it's kind of a funny memory. I feel like I should send them a copy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They might like it more now. Maybe. Have you run into any other situations? Have you run into any other situations where like people have tried to like push back against Bang or where you've gotten like or tried to suppress it or um well I got a, a, a really interestingly fervent run of religious uh, comments on different posts. <laughs> uh, a lot of Bible quoting, which mm. honestly, you know, part of me feels like that indicates that Bang is like a wider audience than, you know, a sex ed community, which, you know, you, is, you want your fair share of confusion. <laughs> Um, if you feel like you're actually reaching people. Uh, I think there's a lot of, I'm going to call out some aggressive people. Because, <laughs> like, when I kind of said, it's, it's usually, in, especially, like, in more liberal areas, like, not the South, obviously, right now. Um, well, not all the South. Shout out to my South sex positive people <laughs> who are really in it right now. Um, but I find that what I experience a lot of isn't really outright book burning. It's more, it's sort of like passive aggressive side eye situation where people are like, oh, okay, yeah, masturbation, but like they don't want to engage with it. Um, that is probably more of a negative side of things, but you know, I'm not here to force anyone to read about masturbation everyone's on their own journey as people say <laughs> yep that's pretty much microcosm's entire existence story it's like everywhere we go people are like i am not going to engage with this right now mm -hmm. and you're like oh you'll be back you know one way or another <laughs> whether you know it or not you know yeah and that's been and that so as you know i feel like that's like a fairly interesting symbiosis that, you know, that's like why your book was a good fit, you know, that like we can sort of be champions of this thing that makes people uncomfortable, which is kind of most days around here. Well, well thank, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for joining yeah. us. Of course. Thanks for chatting and see you guys in the email. Thanks for joining us once again. Please send your questions to podcast at microcosmpublishing.com so we can answer them on future episodes. And please give us five stars on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are reviewed. You can find us on the internet at microcosm.pub. On Twitter at microcosm. On Facebook at microcosm publishing. 
on Instagram at microcosm underscore pub. And here in Portland, Oregon on North Williams Avenue. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.